Hey there, welcome back in to Talking Catholic with David O'Gray. I am David O'Gray and we are Talking Catholic with Catholic Evangelist Richard Lane. We're talking about Catholic evangelization in the world today. We're talking about living out our faith. What does that mean? And we're talking about also talking about racism and how Catholics in the Catholic Church can do better addressing that. So, and we'll begin right after the eight second introduction to Talking Catholic. Eight seconds, look, it's just enough time for you to click like, subscribe, and share. I'll see you soon. All right. Richard Lang, welcome on to Talking Catholic. How's it going? Man, I'm doing great in this time of uh, lockdown and uh, feel like uh, we've been put on punishment for a little while, but I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah, punishment is a good analogy. <laughs> now, I know many of you have heard of Catholic evangelist Richard Lane, but those who have not, um, Richard Lane was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Um, he was born to a mother who is a retired educator. Who, her name is Mary Lane Alexander. And um, he is, his father it was um, NFL Hall of Fame cornerback Dick Knight Train Lane. So um, he's a former Lutheran who converted to the Catholic Church. Actually, you can listen to his conversion story that was recorded with Marcus Grodi on EW10's Journey Home. And also, I'll link a podcast that he and I did um, several years ago. Um, so you can listen to it there as well. So check those out. And Richard Lane is an inter internationally known Catholic evangelist. His ministry is focused on reconciliation um, and efforts to bring about healing to, to so many who are lost and fallen away from the, the Catholic Church. Is, is that about is that about it, uh, Richard? That sums it up. That sums it up. Yes, it really does. I've been blessed to be able to also do uh, not only parish missions, but also retreats for priests, deacons, uh, laity, as well as bishops all over the world. And uh, I also do consulting for uh, for evangelization in different churches, dioceses, as well as some dioceses in South America as well to help establish their evangelization programs because a lot of churches and dioceses really don't understand what the empirical knowledge of evangelization. A lot of people think that it's, well, it's just another committee uh, that we need to form. And Jesus didn't form committees. Right. You know, the first apostles were not committees. He didn't say, go out and start a new meeting or start a new ministry. And evangelization starts at home. And a lot of people just think, well, you know, praying the rosary is evangelization or handing out rosaries is evangelization or you have to really do do something big like a podcast or whatever. And that's all you do is, is evangelize. No, evangelization starts at home. Evangelization starts like checking on your neighbors. Your evangelization is starting to call people and just say, hey, how are you? Evangelization is just being nice to people. <laughs> that's right. basically what it is. And so that's what I kind of do and teach. And and uh, it's been very interesting. It really has, but I love it. I absolutely yeah, love I, it. I like that definition of evangelization because you the way you explained it, it was more like a with thing than a two thing. You know, you, you can talk to somebody mm -hmm. or you can talk with someone, right? You can exactly. converse and just exactly. so. So yeah, I like that definition of evangelization. That's powerful. I'm keep yeah, that with really. Me. One thing I've learned, David, is that I I try to meet people where they are, 
mm-hmm. where they are in life. Um, I don't, I don't categorize people. Uh, I don't condemn people. I don't look at, I don't judge people. Uh, I remember years ago when I was living in St. Louis, um, the entire day was beautiful. I think it was a, a Thursday morning or Friday or Wednesday morning. I started out preaching on the street corners of Cook and Grand, which is in North St. Louis. Yeah. And that street corner is, is rough. Uh, it's filled with gangbangers, dope dealers, pimps, hustlers, and prostitutes. And I started out preaching that morning, ministering to dope dealers and what society would call some of the worst people in the world. And then that evening at eight o'clock, I wound up ministering to a group of Catholic business professionals, Legatus, <laughs> and <laughs> the cumulative worth of that group of professionals, I would say was probably about a quarter of a billion dollars. Wow. So I went from in the morning ministering to people that had no money to <laughs> ministering to people that had a quarter of a billion dollars. Now, right. was the message the same? It was exactly the same. But was it presented in a different way? Yes. I didn't walk in there with my J's on, my short pants on, with my glasses. I didn't walk in there with my hat right. on backward and my tattoos right. showing. But right. the message right. was the same. A message yeah. of love, a message of forgiveness, a message of, of peace, a message mm. of encounter. I right. try to encounter people in the light of Christ and be that encounter of Christ. Again, that's what evangelization is all about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's beautiful that God has has called you to that. Um did you did you ever see your life going this way? <laughs> no. No. If somebody would have told me 20 years ago that I would be a Catholic evangelist, I would have literally said, "You know what? You've had too much you you've had too much to drink and let's go get another drink." You know, yeah. and, and do whatever we were doing. I was, I never thought in a million years that I would do this. Now, when I was little, my mother said, uh, actually, I wasn't little. I, in my 20s, my mother said, You missed your calling, son. You should have been a, pr- a preacher or a politician. And I said, I've done too much dirt to be, a, to be either one. And then I thought about, I think about the light of politicians right now, and I'm like, Well, I'd probably be considered a, a saintly politician compared to some of these politicians now. Right, right, but right. Yeah. I just, I never thought that I would do this. I've never gone to seminary. Uh, I've never gone, taken, I have taken a couple of classes. Uh, I did go through the permanent diaconate. I went through three years of the permanent diaconate there in St. Louis. And then the Holy Spirit called me in a different way. The ministry started blowing up. And I couldn't make all of my classes. And I was like, Lord, why do you want me to do this? Uh, I said, I can't make, uh, I can't earn a living. I can't do this. I'm not a priest. I'm not a deacon. And what my godfather, God rest his soul, he reminded me, he says, can't is not in the Lord's vocabulary. Mm. And you need to remove it from yours. Mm. He says, remember the scripture says, I can do all things. Through Christ, who is my strength. He said, the Lord will make a way out of no way. He says, you just have to humble yourself, young man. I said, well, humility is not in my vocabulary as well. He said, you better get it in there. I said, yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. That old example example is true that that God prepares the called. 
And he definitely yeah. did prepare you uh, for this calling that you didn't see coming. A lot of people struggle with calling, don't they? Don't they? They struggle with with knowing what am I, what does God call me to do? What am I supposed to do? Yeah, there's an old saying. You know, I, I steal a lot from the Baptist, and one of the things that they say is God doesn't call the qualified; He qualifies the called. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, you don't have to go through seminary. You don't have to know sacred scripture from front to back and memorize the entire uh the entire septuagint you don't have to do that <laughs> but what you do have to do is you have to have a an an understanding of who we are and whose we are you have to have an understanding of why are you catholic why are you christian why do you follow this who people called crazy Jew that lived 2000 years ago. What has he done for you lately? And don't give me that. Well, way back in 1905, I met Jesus and Jesus did this, that. No, what did he do for you last night? What did he do for you this morning? That's your testimony. Why, yeah. what are your reasons for your belief? As St. Paul says in 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give reason for your faith. Give yeah. reason for why you believe what you believe. One of my fam favorite analogies is people will say, well, I'll ask them, well, why are you Catholic? And the cradle Catholics will say, well, because I was born that way. I said, that's <laughs> an excuse. I said, you guys make it sound like it's a disease or something. I said, you know what? I'm black. And I'm black because I was born that way. Right. Despite what Mac Michael Jackson and Sammy Sosa did, I can't change <laughs> the fact that I'm black. Right. But, you know, I didn't have a choice. But I do have a choice to be able to love God and serve him or just tell him, deuces, I'm out. I don't want to deal with you. That's true. We have That's that true. choice. Right. And every day you have to make a conscious choice. Every day is a daily conversion, isn't mm -hmm. it, David? I mean, we have to have a daily conversion every day we wake up. Are you going to follow Jesus this day? Are you going to follow the magisterial teachings of the Catholic Church, even though some of those teachings don't taste too well? <laughs> it might not taste well, but are you going to follow it, or are you going to be, and I'm going to steal this one from you, are you going to be a cafeteria Catholic? <laughs> you know, yeah. just say, well, I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit. Mm -mm, I don't yeah. want none of that abortion stuff. I don't want none of that stuff. I don't want none of this. Mm, no, nah, I'm not. Yeah. You, it's either all in or not. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That, that's understand. I like. One, I always keep this in my pocket. Something I heard um, Pope Benedict XVI say. Um, that's my dude. He said he, he's he's always in the process of becoming Catholic. Always in the process of becoming. Like it's never a settled issue. Right. He's right. always becoming. So as long as I don't think I'm a finished product, I think I'm okay. Right. Because I'm always yeah. I'm always searching for his will and how to cooperate with his grace. And it's never finished. Right. I cannot wait to see and hear and read some of his his writings since he's been retired. Uh, what's your favorite? What's one of your favorite encyclicals that B-16 wrote? Um. I mean, his, as far as the cyclical go, it would it definitely be the uh, one on on love. But they use my, my, Yeah, but my favorite book of his is um, 
See, that's a professional. That's a professional Catholic podcast. <laughs> he's looking around on his. Yeah, he has two. He right has here. two books he wrote. He wrote on, on Jesus, right? Um, and definitely the infancy narratives um, would be my favorite. Yeah. My favorite book of his. Yeah, I'm um, just because Deus Caritas asked. I could never have imagined Joseph Ratzinger. Um, uh, being when he became, I was like, "Oh Lord, we go have a bulldog as Pope." Yeah, and, yeah. And that that was the narrative, right? That was the narrative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But boy, he came through with that Davis Cartes s God is love. I was like, "This can't be Joseph Ratzinger." Has somebody no. had to remind me? It's not. It's Benedict the Sixteenth. Yeah. I was like, "Oh my God!" It's so much. He talks about the agape and the eros yeah. love. Yeah. And he breaks it down. Oh my goodness, that was that was my favorite. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's definitely mind blowing because I like you the, the narrative, the expectation coming in. He's this bulldog coming in from the CDF. He's just gonna, you know, throw down a hammer. But he comes out talking about love. <laughs> and yeah, it, it was just it was mind blowing to me. And mm -hmm. um, it's it's like when he became pope, it just sort of unleashed him. Yeah, and he was really his his um what who he who always thought himself to be as a teacher and as a theologian really just kind of sort of bloomed like a flower, and yeah, yeah, we were blessed to have him while we did. Yeah, that's true. And again, he's one of the fathers of um that the one of the Vatican II fathers as well because he yeah. was there during Vatican II. Yeah, yep. And um, yeah, I pray that the the church sees him to be a doctor of the church one day because he he truly yes. was. Wow, that would right. be awesome. Yeah. What shape has, I mean, this whole thing, a lot of Americans have been asked to, to, to stay at home during this uh, coronavirus and public mass have been canceled. And for you, I know that that's affected you with your, your cap for conferences because you're speaking everywhere at conferences. Uh, but, you know, a lot of that, that's been shut down, obviously. How is that, how, what shape has your ministry taken during these weeks um, that, that we've been shut down? I've had to really revert to my military, my army training. I spent five year, five and a half years in the army. And one of the things they always taught us was to always adapt and overcome. And I had to really say the first couple of days of this lockdown and this pandemic, I had to say, okay, what am I going to do now? And I did get some rest. And then I just went into prayer. And I just heard in my prayers, the Lord doesn't stop. The Lord doesn't quit. Huh. And I said, okay, well, what am I going to do? And so I had always heard about podcasts. I'd never done a podcast before. I didn't have any information. So I said, okay, I'm going to have to turn this thing into an online ministry. Okay. So I started doing some Facebook Live and preaching on Facebook Live. People really enjoyed that. So I said, okay, now what I'm going to do. So it was about the sec. it was the week before Holy Week, I did a my final Lenten parish mission online every night for four nights. Right. People loved it. Then they said, people started asking me, okay, will you please do a Holy Week parish mission online? I said, sure. So I did a Holy Week parish mission. Then I went into the Triduum. <laughs> and then I did Easter Sunday. So I was preaching for the first time in my 16-year preaching career. I had never preached 
every day, 16 days in a row. Wow. And I didn't realize how much of a physical and emotional toll it had taken on my body. And so I slept for a couple of days after Easter and then I just heard the Lord say, okay, I want you to continue to preach. I want you to continue to, and people continued to send me emails and text messages and messages on Facebook. And so I said, okay, that's the Lord calling. That's the Lord's voice. So I started doing that. Then I said, okay, somebody said you need to start a podcast. I was like, okay, I don't, how do I do that? So, <laughs> you know, I went to Google university. <laughs> and I googled how to start podcasts and then I went to I graduated to YouTube um YouTube University and I taught myself <laughs> how to do podcasts on you on YouTube and then I started begging for help and people gave me some financial help to be able to start it and and that's basically what it's done so I think this time this this virus this pandemic has really changed or redefined the way that we do Catholic ministry now. For mm -hmm. years, David, I have told Catholic parishes, why don't you have an online presence? We need to have an online presence. We need to have uh, we need to have media ministries. We need to have uh, a video for people to be able or a stream to be able for people to see and receive that stream when they can't come in. Right. And then people are like, oh, no, we could feed so many more people uh, because, you know, we don't need to invest all that money. So now what happens when the world stops? We got priests doing doing mass on cameras upside down. Upside down. Yeah, because we don't know how to do this. Yeah. When we should have already been prepared for it. Yeah. And so now there are a lot of apostolates who have embraced the uh who have embraced media and now they're starting to have online Catholic conferences. Right. Uh there was an online conference, I believe it was an online women's conference a few weeks ago that probably 30,000 people from around the world attended you have different dioceses in my diocese in the archdiocese of detroit the office of black catholic ministries just did a three-night women's retreat oh. and it was on facebook and they had 30 women every night on this retreat and huh. it was absolutely fabulous and it was online and so i started to crash it <laughs> Because I wanted to hear what was going on. I started to crash it, but I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I did listen to the rebroadcast on Facebook. And okay. these women have a call for holiness. They're striving for holiness. That's why there's going to be so many more women in heaven than us brothers. We're all going to be in purgatory. <laughs> Can we get out now, please? Um but again, this time of lockdown has really brought a lot of people closer. Yeah. And yeah. another thing, David, I really believe that the that we this time away from the Eucharist, this time away from the liturgy, I pray that it would give us a greater respect, mm -hmm. a greater love, a deeper love for sacred liturgy because we have not been able to hear the words we have not been able to hear the music we have not been able to be in common union 
in common union or communion together. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you think about, just think about the little things. When, when do you think we're going to be able to receive the precious blood in the chalice ever yeah. again? You know, how are we going to dispense the Eucharist in the, in the, uh, the form of the host? You know, yeah. there's people saying, well, you know, well, you know, you know, uh, you're gonna, you're, you're not Catholic if you receive communion on in the hand. Well, you know, a lot of people aren't going to be sticking their fingers in your mouth anymore. I think that's, I mean, I always thought maybe one or two things are going to happen. I think both are going to happen on, on different, on different degrees. I mean, one, you're going to have people who yeah, truly do. It's going to be like the, the person you love, you, you've been away, maybe you've been away at war, maybe you've been, you know, gone for yes. a while. And you just miss communion with them, just being around them. You just miss their presence. You miss the little things about them that you didn't know that you even loved about them. And exactly. they're, they're gonna be there's gonna be those Catholics. Um and yeah, that deep appreciation and just those small things, right? Of the Gloria, of the confession, mm -hmm. of the creeds, you know. Yes. And then there, there'll be some Catholics who you were talking about earlier, they were just, you know, they're just born that way. And what they they may have realized is that am I really Catholic? Do I really miss the mass? Mm -hmm. And so there's this, this, there may be a sense of, yeah, maybe I don't, you know, I've been gone all my life and now I don't have it. And those are the ones that I, I know your ministry is really focused on just reaching out and touching those people in the margins of the faith. Those are the ones that I, I have a deep concern for and I, I pray for. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, and it's, we have to, in order to get those people to be able to come back to the church, we have to encounter, they have to have an encounter with the risen Lord. And we, David, you and I, have to be that encounter. Pope Francis said that we have to be, Jesus is the living and visible sign of the Father's love and mercy. And so if we receive Jesus, then we must become what we receive. Then we must be that living and visible sign, that yeah. encounter of the mercy and love of God the Father. And then another thing is people left, when they left the Catholic Church or left organized religion, they left a dysfunctional family. And so, mm. you know, because and I'm, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. Right. The 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 church capital C is perfect. Yeah. But the people that make up the church small C are not perfect. And perfect. so we've had some dysfunction in our family. And yes. so are we calling people back into that same dysfunction or have we addressed those issues mm -hmm. and have we made corrections so that we're no longer dysfunctional? Yeah. As a as an evangelist who who you know, who, who participates in bringing people back home. Is that hard for you to, to find? I mean, when you sometimes you find people and they'll, they'll tell you um, or they'll find you and they'll, they'll tell you the reason why they left the church because of this happened, that happened. Oftentimes it's personal. Some priest did this. Some person did this. Um, it's oftentimes not, not so much to do with the, the, what the church teaches, but these personal relationships that failed and were broken. Um, how do you how do you minister to, to people like that? Number one, we have to listen. We have to listen. We have to just, I let them just pour out their issue. 
I let them pour out what happened or whatever issue that they had. I listen to them. And then I tell them, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. On behalf of the church, on behalf of those that hurt you, I'm sorry. I really am. But give it another shot. Give it another chance. I said, there were a lot of people in biblical history that really messed up some things. But God continued to give them chances over and over and over. Find another church. There are millions of Catholic churches around the world. There are hundreds of Catholic churches in several dioceses. Find another church. Give it another chance. Even if you're not ready to go into church, open, open your Bible and just read God. Just feed on, on the Word of God. You can listen to Mass now online, even though some Masses might be upside down. <laughs> but you can listen to Mass online now. Give it a shot. Find a relationship. And then you try to address, if you can, some of those issues. Like you mentioned, some dioceses have had some issues with priests and, and certain, certain activities. And so we talk about, I've made myself knowledgeable about some of those issues, and then we address those issues on what the church has done and is continuing to do. And so we just, again, I try to meet people where they are in their walk of life and just try to minister to them and say, you know what, God still loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listening. And um, let me ask you this question. Can the love of the, the Catholic Church, which Catholic Church teaches about the Holy Eucharist, you just can't find anywhere else. I mean, it, it, was, the, it was the one thing that makes the Catholic Church so just just fundamentally different, just on, mm -hmm. on every level, that we believe that the, 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 the bread and wine truly be do become the real presence of Jesus Christ. And that Jesus Christ is truly at the Mass through the liturgy. That is a deep encounter with Jesus Christ on just every level, receiving him into our body. Can the love of the Holy Eucharist, that knowledge and, and love of that, can that overcome um, everything that any, any um, uh, issues with people or failures of the church can I, can I just love the whole you just keep people there no matter what that's an interesting or, question or, is it just, or am i making it just like too simple i mean because you know you could just in marriage you know you can love someone mm -hmm. um and then there's some issues that are there mm -hmm. um but can love just overcome everything can the love of the whole you just overcome everything or just or there are just some things that i don't know that just can be so great that somebody somebody will leave the church even though they know they know that the whole Eucharist truly is Jesus Christ. It, that's a very interesting question. That's an excellent question. And to be honest with you, I have in times experienced certain things that would have taken me away from the Catholic Church. I have a deep love for the Eucharist. Right, because it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity. It is Jesus the Christ. I have, the, I love that. But there have been issues that I have been, uh, that I have encountered in the Catholic Church. I have been called the N word in the Catholic Church before. Um, when I was ten or eleven years old, the first Catholic Church I ever went went to, 
an older person, a, a, an older man who was an usher, called me the N-word. Um, uh, it's, I've been called the N-word within the past five years in the church. I've had people that have refused to shake my brown hand, but they shook everybody else's hand that wasn't as brown as mine. And it wasn't because of any coronavirus. It was because of another virus, a racist <laughs> virus. Yeah. Uh, so there have, and I've heard horror stories from other people about how they have been treated in the church. And that can drive people away from the church. It really can, David. It really can. And it's, it's, it's so sad. It's so sad. I've heard people that have been that have been divorced and remarried and they couldn't get a dispensation. And yet they have this great love for the Eucharist. I remember one lady, I'm not going to say where, but she had been she had been denied a dispensation for 20 years. She had never missed a daily mass. Huh. In 20 years. And she would go every day to Mass and she would receive a blessing. And she would refuse taking the Eucharist because it was against church teaching. <clears throat> that is a love for the Eucharist above none other, in yeah. my humble opinion. Yeah. Because it's about self-sacrifice. Yeah. It's about saying, well, I'm not worthy. It's about following church teaching it's about following the magisterium of the church you know and so yes can we have can you love your spouse so much that your love for your spouse kind of uh, affects your other relationships can you love your spouse so much where you don't care for your kids properly <laughs> You have to, it, there has to be a balance there. There has to be a balance because, again, if we love Jesus within the Eucharist, we then, again, the Eucharist is within us. And then when the Mass is completed and you walk out those doors, then we have to become the living Mass. Right. We have to live out that Mass. Right. So, again, Yes, Jesus wants to love him and adore him and everything else. And I love going, I miss going to adoration. Man, I miss going. I can't wait till adoration comes back. I'm going to prostrate myself. I'm going to sleep and snore in front of Jesus. I don't care about anybody else. I'm with Jesus. But we have to take that love into the entire strata of humanity. As Pope Paul VI, I can't wait till they make him a saint. As Pope Paul VI told us in Evangelii Nuntiandi, we have to take that enti that love into the entire strata of humanity. So you just can't keep Jesus to yourself. Can't, just can't keep the spouse to yourself. It's yeah. for everyone. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that's beautiful. Yeah, I've always, I mean, that's something I strongly hold on to. I mean, we have to become what we have received in the yeah. Mass. Yes. You know, we have I mean, that's the whole point of being dismissed. You know, go um, share the gospel. Go just become what you have received. And what you have received freely that right. you have to give away freely. Right, um, right. If anybody had the right to keep Jesus to themselves, it was the Blessed Mother. 
<laughs> if yeah. anybody had the right to keep G, that's yeah. my son. That's the fruit of my womb. That's my baby. Yeah. I'm not going to let y'all kill my baby. Right. <laughs> but she knew that that in order for the will of God to be done, in order for humanity to be uh, to be brought back into the hands of God, she realized her role that she had to give up her son for a greater purpose. And that's what we have to do is we can't hoard Jesus to ourselves. We have to give Jesus to others, to others that believe and don't believe. Yeah. And I never thought about it until you said it. Mary's silence at the crucifixion mm -hmm. and at the cross speaks volumes. I mean, you look at some funerals that you go to and, um, uh, you know, sometimes you have people wailing and beating on a coffin. Um, uh, God, why'd you take my baby? I mean, it's just just chaos. But Mary's silence. What what does that say? It says sacrifice to me. It says sacrifice. Um, you know, for her to stand to to stand there. That's unconditional love of a mother. She followed her son all the way into his death as she watched him give up his last breath. And then she heard in his final seven words, she heard, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Jesus loved us so much. Not only did he give us, give himself to us, but he gave his mother to each and every one of us. And if you really look at the icon of our mother perpetual help, David, I think that that sums up Mary's love for us in so much words because Jesus is depicted as a five-year-old little boy and he had just had a dream of his passion. Two angels had come to him and showed him a vision of his future death. And what did he do as a five-year-old little boy? He, he got up and ran to his mother. And so he jumps in his mother's arms and she's holding Jesus and Jesus is looking at her because he's scared, but she's not looking at Jesus. She's looking at you and I. She's looking at you and I, David, and she's saying, if God ran to me for comfort, why don't you run to me for comfort? And I will comfort you as I comforted God. Mm. Mm, and that's, that's the sacrifice that our blessed mother made and continue to make, make for us. Yeah, man, that's something that's powerful. Hey, you're um I think when I when I moved to the St. Louis area, we were here in this in this area very briefly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. crazy. I was I was always in Ohio, you know, you're you're in St. Louis and we never got a chance to really connect, but we were here very briefly and then you up and move to Michigan where where you're from. <laughs> yes. I, how does it feel to be back at be living back at home? Man, I'm so blessed to be back in the Motor City, man. I'm so blessed to be back in Motown. It's the town of city of my birth. I left here in 1983 okay. when I graduated high school. I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. I joined the military. I've lived all over the world. I've lived all over the United States, but I've always had a love for Detroit. 
I am a Detroit brother through and through. What up, though, for everybody? <laughs> See, when you meet somebody and they say, well, I'm from Detroit, too. And then you say the, the three words, what up, though? That, that's, a, that's the universal Detroit greeting. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's so nice to be back. And so when I first moved back, I had to stop myself from going up to everybody that had a Detroit Lions or a Detroit Tigers or a Red Wings jersey or a Pistons jersey because yeah. I was living in California. I'd be like, what up, man? Pistons, yeah. And so I'm walking down. <laughs> I'm walking down downtown Detroit. I have to stop myself. What's up, man? They're like, who this brother right here? Right, right, right. Yeah, that's the same. I was the same way when I moved back to Northeast Ohio. You know, because I'm a big everything Browns fan. You can probably see it in the camera back there. Everything. Yeah, I everything see that Cleveland. orange blob. I love. I mean, there. Browns, Cavs, Indians, Halle Berry, everything from Cleveland. I'm a big fan of. But uh, yeah, moving back home, everybody had these Browns jerseys on and jackets, and I was so excited. But it's just ordinary. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, no, I, I definitely know that feeling. Yeah. yeah. But it's nice to be back home, man. It's nice to be with family for the first time in my life, man. I've been able to spend so many times, so many holidays with my family. My cousins come over to my house from time to time. We sit out back and we have. You know, we enjoy lemon, pink lemonade, and we enjoy iced tea, sweet tea. And, um, and I'm not going to lie, I enjoy my cigars. But it's nice for us to be, nice for me to be around family, to be able to go visit my 90-year-old aunt that continues to be a huge influence in my ministry every day. Um, it's nice to be able to catch up with, for the first time in my life, I'm being able to hang out with friends that I knew from kindergarten, from fifth yeah. grade. It's amazing. So, and then just being able to fall in love with your, with the city that gave you birth mm -hmm. to be able to go down to downtown Detroit and see the gentrification that has happened to see the new Renaissance. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people are upset because of what has happened in the, the economic dynamic of Detroit over the past, 25 years but mm -hmm. it's really coming back and i hate as much as i hate to say it it's a man from ohio god i, I forgot you were from ohio i can't stand you <laughs> but you know um dan gilbert has done a yeah. tremendous job in bringing uh bringing detroit back to life they're actually calling us now cleveland north so oh really <laughs> Yes, but I I love being back home. And if anybody has not been back to the Motor City recently, please come back. Um, I got to take you to my church. It's called uh, the Catholic Community of Saint Moses the Black. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. the Catholic okay. Community of Saint Moses the Black. You've got mm -hmm. to come and worship with us. It is a true worship experience. We've got a wonderful pastor. My pastor's name is Father Marco Dejanovic. He is uh, an Albanian priest. Okay. This brother is on fire. Oh, my mm. goodness. He okay. is a wonderful pastor. He's a young brother, too. Uh, okay. He's only in his, I don't even think Father uh, Father Marco is 40 yet. Okay. So, um, he's been ordained about three years. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah. I, I yeah, love new priests. They, they, yeah. they, they don't have any fear. <laughs> exactly. He's a baby <laughs> priest, man. And so, you know, it's it's like he's like a dog with a bone, man. Right, 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 right. 
Yeah. yeah. And he's just running to bite everything Satan is out Satan has. So yeah. um yeah, it's just it's been great, man. It's been great. Come on up, man. Come on up. Yeah, that sounds like an invitation. We'll definitely be up there. Please. Um, love to travel. But but speaking of that, um, you know, Detroit back in the day, you know, you and I, we grew up during the time, man, when when you know the crack ac- academic was, was coming online, you had a lot of gang violence and um even I know during your time in St. Louis, they had periods there when it was very violent in some some areas. And you know, walking down the street in some neighborhoods, even the United States today, you know, in, in some urban centers, this is a very precarious situation. Yes. But having said that, um, why do you think it affects Black Americans more deeply when something happens as it did with um, Maude Aubrey, who on uh, February twenty third, two thousand twenty some good old boys in a pickup truck tracked them down and, and gunned them down cold blood in the street. Why does that affect us more deeply when it happens outside of our community, do you think? That's that's another great question. Um, it's something that for 400 years or 500 years now since they brought us to this land, uh, since we were brought over from Africa, we have hoped and prayed for a time where we could be equal, where this violence, where this racism, where this with this continued uh, atrocity against people of color would stop. Uh, a lot of people thought that that would stop with the uh, in 1965 with the passage of the Civil Rights Bill. We thought that it would stop with the uh, four little girls who were murdered in Birmingham, Alabama. We thought that it would stop with the murder of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We thought that it would stop with the election of the very first African-American president in the history of the United States of America. We thought that it would stop in 2020 and we just keep hoping and praying that that song will come through that we've that we have sang from the bowels of our souls for over 200 years we shall overcome we shall overcome someday Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe that we shall overcome someday. It gives me chills right now just singing that because my great-great-grandparents sang that. And for generation after generation after generation, it hasn't come true. Mm. And it has affected us in our community. And even when we, and people say, well, racism doesn't exist. Uh, It's only a, it's fake news. It's only a figment of your imagination. No, it exists. It exists within the Catholic church. Think about Father Augustus Tolton the very first African-American priest, the very first African-American priest ordained for 
not in, but ordained for the United States of America. Right. He wanted to be a priest. They wouldn't allow him to go through seminary here, so they sent him to Rome, and then Rome sent him back to Quincy, Illinois, and he, they said, well, you're going to be, and he was known as that N-word priest to those N-word Catholics. And he died at 46 years old because of all the stress and strife and, and that went with his, that, that prejudice. Think about all the priests, African-American priests that have come since him. They've gone through that same tribulation. We think that even seminaries should be exempt from this. But I have a, one of my godsons has, uh, was going through seminary and as recently as a few years ago and experienced racism from his, some of the other seminarians, as well as some of the other, the hierarchy, it just keeps happening, David, over and over and over from Tamir Rice to Michael Brown, to Trayvon Martin, and now to this young man. And then just a couple of days ago, I read online last night that there was a young man in Indianapolis, Indiana, an air force, uh, an air force, an airman, who was murdered on a traffic stop. Let's talk about Philando Castile. There are different ways. I was talking to someone the other day, and they are a white couple, and they adopted a black boy, and he's 16 years old, and they see the paradigm of life through the lenses of an African American child. You can go and see life through your lenses, but when you take off your glasses and you look at life through my black glasses, it's totally different. Mm -hmm. And they see the struggles that their son has had to go through. They've experienced the same struggles and same prejudice from whites and blacks. Because you know if them white folks walk into a black place and they, it's the black people are going to be like, who them white folks with that black baby? <laughs> you know, so they have experienced that as well. Yeah. They have to teach their black son, you can't do everything that your white male friends do. I was visiting my mother in Ocala, Florida a few years ago. Uh, this was actually two years ago. I was down there. And it was 8 o'clock at night, and it was a beautiful summer night. And I said, Mama, I'm going out go for a walk. She said, baby, it's 8 o'clock at night. I said, Mama, I'm, I was 53 at the time. I said, Mama, I'm just, I'm just going out. You know, I'm going for a walk. She said, okay. So I'm 15 minutes into my walk. She calls me on my cell phone, David. And she says, Richard, you get your behind home right now. I said, okay. I ran home. I thought something was wrong. I said, what's wrong? She said, son, you are a black man at night walking around a predominantly in a predominantly white community. And she said, and you're wearing a hoodie and this is Florida. She said, these people will kill you out there, son, because they don't know you. Hmm. In 2018, my then 83 year old mother had to be worried about her 53 year old back black son. That's the same thing problem that we're going through right now that it breaks my heart for all of the black mothers who have to teach their sons you cannot go to the store like your white friend you can you have to be more vigilant 
You have to be more, your white friend gets stopped by a police officer and he doesn't have to worry about being shot or anything else, but you are going to be profiled. And we have to have these talks with our black babies at an early age. And it hurts. It hurts our community. And the only way that we're going to overcome this, David, is if we have the conversation. We have the, if we address what's going on in this world. People say, well, it's the Trump administration. No, 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 no. It's, don't blame it on the Trump administration now. It was folks being murdered, and it was black folks being murdered and lynched during the Obama administration, during Bush one, during Bush two, during, during Clinton, during Reagan, all the way back. Let's not blame it on Trump. Yeah. You know, and let's not blame it on our leaders. We, the ordinary people, have to do something, have to get out there. Our voices have to be heard. If you don't like your current po uh, political situation, then get out and vote. Make a change. But it's mm -hmm. not up to these politicians. It's up to each and every one of us Christians. People, if you believe, if you're a pro-lifer, then you have to be concerned about the white, the not only the life inside the womb, but the life outside of the womb as well. You have to be concerned about that mother. And that's where we have failed our society. That's where we have failed uh, the people of God and not in not addressing the issues and trying to move on. Yeah. And it's not, I don't think it's, it's even fair to ask, you know, the question, what can the Catholic Church do better? Because I think that then, that then puts it back on the leaders, that puts it back on the bishops. No, and they no, can write, I, I, they can write as many. I, I would disagree with you because the Catholic Church, David, is the largest religious organization in the world. Okay. And so the Catholic Church has to step up to the plate. If we are the leader, if the 1.8 or 1.10 billion Catholics around this world are going to make a, a change, then our leaders have to challenge us, have to empower us to be able to, to step up. And, and, that's I, think we, one thing. and we, it's, I think what we I think what we tend to always get though is just these I think they just wrote a, at the last United States Catholic conference, maybe last year, you know, um, I think the second one of the year, you know, another another letter, another document, you know, but uh, what you're talking about is like actual action. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We have to get out there again. If we're sick and tired of all of the. <laughs> oh. When we had the Michael Brown situation in Ferguson, mm -hmm. there were so many preachers out there, but I criticized my own Catholic church. Where's my bishop? Where is my, uh, you're supposed to be my shepherd. Why is not the Catholic church take, taking a lead role in okay. this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Again, that's that's my that's my issue. And we as laity have the the authority and the right to be able to call people out and challenge them to do but just as much as they do, but in a respectful in a respectful manner, you know. Yeah. My Archbishop, and, and I'm not trying to slam Archbishop Carlson. Archbishop Carlson is a wonderful shepherd. A wonderful shepherd. He was my shepherd for a long time. Um, 
I love my Archbishop Vigneron here in Detroit, Michigan, because he has empowered us to go out. He has empowered us. Okay, you want to make a change? Let's make a radical change, a radical change, because that's what Jesus did. And so now is the time that we as a church and our church leaders, our pastors, our deacons need to step up. They need to be visible to the world in order for us to make this particular change. Um, our Holy Father Francis has done some amazing things as well. He's done a lot of things that a lot of people have criticized him, but at least he's trying to, he's trying to reach people where they are. And we need to give them a chance. Amen. We need to give them a chance. We need to step up and stop criticizing each other because others see, well, Catholics are fighting amongst themselves. You know, the traditionalists versus these. We have to all come together as one united family for the glory of God and for the help of other people. And once we do that, then we can change this world. Then we can truly be the salt of the world then we can truly begin to make a difference in this world because it's a battle against Satan. Yeah. It is a true battle that we face. But yet, like Paul says, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but yet we are fighting against flesh and blood, aren't we, David? Yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're saying. I mean, I think there, there, I mean clearly there's, there, there's a lot of fruit to be had from a top-down sort of um, transmission of this action, right? But also, like you were saying in the beginning, the, the liturgy itself, not only is, is okay, you had a top-down aspect from the leaders, um, but also the liturgy itself is just a, a spreading out um, of sending this out on, on a lateral, on a, um, on, a, um, uh, on a horizontal dimension to just affect one each other, one yeah. another on just that, that, that personal um, um, level. So it has to be both, and that's how the Catholic Church favors. It's not yes. just one or the other. It's, yes. it's an and both type of thing and man there's so much room for improvement and thank god he's thank god he's merciful with us <laughs> amen catholics there's an old saying that i've used catholics have always been sacramentalized and catechized but never evangelized oh, right, right we've been sacramentalized and catechized we've been taught how to live in this catholic box but we've right. never been taught how to go out and live outside of that Catholic box. God never put us in a box to think outside of in the first place, but right. we put ourselves in that box. And so we have to continue to learn how to share, how to love, how to be that living and visible sign in this world, in our everyday lives, at work, at home, at play. God wants to be involved in everything. When I go play everything. golf, you're going to pray with me. Either you're going to pray with me or you ain't going to play. Because <laughs> when I start golf, I start on the first tee, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, please forgive me for the curse words that I'm going to say when my ball goes left and right. Lord, you know I got issues, but I thank you, Lord, and I pray for your forgiveness. Lord, I just thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be here and, yeah. and just enjoy. In Jesus' name, amen. And I look at my fellow players, and they like, I'm like, Amen. <laughs> start now? Yes. You know? Yeah. God yeah. wants to be involved in every facet of our lives. The whole person. I mean, that, that's the one thing that liturgy tries to communicate over and over again from yes. the rhythm of standing up and sitting down, kneeling, praying. It's just, it's just the whole person involved in the liturgy. And we, we all just need to take that whole, that, that, that teaching outside of the Mass. Yes, and, sir. Uh, but man, 
Well, thanks, Richard, for um, coming on and talking Catholic, man. We got to talk again soon, man. It's been a pleasure having you here. And um, I know a lot of people are going to listen to this video, get a lot of good fruit. And again, Richard, where can they find you online? RichardLaneMinistries.com. RichardLaneMinistries.com is the website. You can always search Facebook. Just do a search for Evangelist Richard Lane fan page. I'm not adding anybody else to my personal page. I'm kind of trying to get rid of those people uh, and transfer everybody over to the Richard Lane, um, the Evangelist Richard Lane page. So uh, right. where else can you find me? On Instagram, you can find me at Richard Lane II. On Twitter, at Richard Lane Jr. On TikTok, no, you don't get that. That's my fun part. <laughs> all right. I'll put all those links in the description box below. For those you want to click on those, please do. And we will see you soon um, at, at one of these CAFRA conferences as we come back online this year and next year. Amen. David, God bless you and your family. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And uh, I will continue to keep you and, my, and your family in my prayers. Same here. Thank you. God bless Thank you. God bless you.